We're going to go in our Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel while you're turning there. I want to say it's good to see you here in the house tonight. Our guests, we're so glad that you're here. Thankful that you've come to worship the Lord with us. Amen. We love you very much. And if you're here from uh, another church, I'm thankful your pastor let you come. And uh, if you don't have a home church, welcome home. We're glad you're here tonight. Pray you love what you feel. And uh, so glad that you're here. If you've never been in an apostolic church, in a Pentecostal church, um, you've probably been told some things about us, and I hope we live up to everything you've heard. Amen. Amen. I still believe in demonstrative worship. I believe it's right. Amen. Everything that, that we do, we do in alignment with the scripture. We dance, we run, we clap, we shout. Amen. And I still believe it'll work. And I've had times in my life when I didn't know, at the time in my mind, I didn't know if I could overcome. But when I walked into the house of the Lord and started worshiping, things started moving. Things started happening. And it'll happen for you in this place tonight. Amen. Amen. Now, very quickly, 1 Samuel, we're going to draw our text tonight from 17, probably one of the most famous Old Testament chapters. Uh, but I want to lead you up to it a little bit. Chapter 16, David is anointed as king. Chapter 17, he's fighting giants. How many of you want to be anointed? Everybody wants anointing. Oh, anoint me, Lord. Anoint me, Lord. Anoint me, Lord. And then giants start talking. You're like, uh, take it back, Lord. Take it back. So, uh, you're familiar with the story, I, I would think. If you're not, we can talk after church, and I'll try to bring you up to it. But uh, I want to just begin tonight in the 17th chapter, if I could. And the scripture tells us that David has come down, uh, and he's left his sheep with the keeper, and uh, that he left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and he ran to the army he talked to him and the Bible said that when he got there that there was a champion that came up out of Gath his name was Goliath and Goliath started shouting and so I would like to pick up if I could in about verse 29 just for the sake of time David said what have I now done is there not a cause and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul. He sent for him. Now, you're always going to have encouragers in your life when you want to do the will of God, okay? I'm just, just telling you, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, Here comes the encouragement. Are y'all with me? There's nothing like the spirit of encouragement when you want to do something for God. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Because you're just a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. It's bad enough for the enemy to intimidate you. It's even worse when your brother's trying. 
But you have to understand how conviction works. Saul wasn't discouraging David. You can, that you can believe it how you want to, and you can say it the way you want to when you get the microphone. But I'm going to tell you that Saul wasn't worried David was going to get killed and make him look bad. Saul was worried that David was going to kill Goliath and he was going to look bad. David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. Man, I feel this tonight. And there came a lion and a bear and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and I smote him. Somebody say, I smote him. And I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. Are y'all hearing this? We're not talking about a punk at the local saloon. He said there came a lion and a bear. I got the lamb out of the mouth. And he said when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. And I smote him. This is powerful. I want you to notice this. I smote him. And slew him. Somebody say that. I smote him. And I slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Now, I don't have time to go through all this tonight, but there's so much in here. But I want to tell you that when the Lord gets to moving, you've got to go whether Saul says go or not. Because there's a job to be done. And you can't let the discouraging voice of Saul be, Okay, well, then you go ahead. Since you're that confident, you go ahead. You know, I was, I was confident in the name of the Lord before you told me to go. Amen. I'm going to go anyway. And I'm going to watch God work. And I'm going to see God do this. And there's a really powerful moment here that we're going to get to in our preaching tonight. But I'm going to preach to you from a simple subject. I want you to look at your neighbor square smack dab in the eyeball tonight. And I want you to tell him it's time to finish the job. Praise God. It's time to finish the job. You can be seated in the name of Jesus. This is one of my favorite stories to preach. There's 749 sermons in one chapter. And I'm only going to preach 747 of them tonight. Praise God. But there's so much here. I want to start tonight by encouraging somebody in the Holy Ghost. And I want to make a statement to you that you just need to hear every now and then. If God be for us, who can be against us? I won't preach any better than that tonight. If God be for us, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, I'd make sure tonight I was on the right team. Come on. If God be for us. Who can be against us. Now, I'm going to begin back in chapter 16. I'm going to lay some groundwork very quickly if I can. I'm going to hurry and try to get where I'm going. Because I believe God wants to help somebody in this house. But we're going to have to have some transparency. 
We're going to have to have some people that will be honest tonight. We're really, really bad in our movement at being professional Pentecostals. And we act like we've got it together when we don't. And we act like we're living in victory when it's, it's not private victory. It's just enough victory for everybody in public to think we've got victory. Woo! I'm, I'm already preaching good, Brother Snow. We've got this professional smile, this professional handshake. How you doing? Oh, I'm great. Doing good. It's the General Conference swag. You walk around General Conference. Hey, Doc, how you doing, bro? Church is doing good. It's growing. Yeah, you spent the last three weeks on your face in the carpet because it feels like all hell's breaking loose. But we got to be sure that everybody thinks everything's okay. But I want to just remind you again tonight, if God's for you, who can be against you? You got to keep that in your mind all night while I'm preaching to you. But I feel like in this place tonight, God wants to help somebody. And I want you to listen to me very, very closely. God wants to help somebody in here tonight that is tired of fighting the same battle over and over and over. I'm here prophetically with an anointing on my lips to declare to somebody that tonight could be the last night that you'll ever have to fight this thing if you'll turn it over to God. I want to I help you tonight. I want somebody to realize you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. I know what others may have said. They may have said that it's impossible. With man, it may be. But with God... Ooh, I feel my help in here right now. But with God, all things are possible. My, my, my. It's going to be a miracle if I make it anywhere through this tonight. I feel just a little bit of drunk coming on me tonight. I feel it coming up my legs. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Somebody in this place, if it's only one of you, Somebody's going to be set free before you leave this place tonight. I am issuing an open challenge to every spirit of addiction. Every spirit of addiction in this place tonight. And I'm declaring notice that chains will be broken and that somebody's going to leave here set free in Jesus' name. Praise God. In the 16th chapter, the Bible said that David was anointed as king. But it's easy to talk about his anointing and not deal with the process. The process of the anointing was very frustrating for David. Because David was in the middle of a process that it felt like he was being overlooked. And all of his brothers passed before the prophet Samuel. And every one of his brothers that passed by... The prophet of the Lord said, that's not him. But I know God sent me here to anoint a king. That's not him. And finally got to the end of the line after standing there for however long the interview process was, seven times. And he finally looks at Jesse, David's dad, and he said, do you have anybody else? Because I know I heard a word from God. Now, again, I don't have time to preach all of this, but I want you to stay with me right here. There's something about the grit of Samuel that I love in this chapter. I love it. Samuel walked into Jesse's house with a word. And all of the evidence said, you miss God. The evidence said, all the sons have passed before him and you've missed God. 
God's not going to anoint a king here today. But the audacity and the grit that Samuel had was not about the evidence that he saw. He wasn't there because of evidence. He was there because of a word. Some of you got to get to the place where you hang on to the word more than you stare at the evidence. God said, you're going to anoint a king today. Samuel said, I haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to ask the question, do you have another child? There's a better chance that I'm just not seeing the answer than the fact that God's word is going to fail me. We get to a certain place in our lives where we try God. Now this is amazing. I've been in church all my life. I've been around some good people. But it's incredible to me how often we try God. You know, it's one of my candy sticks, and I'll, I'm going to preach it till I die. But it's amazing how soothing the words of the enemy are to your ear. When the devil tells you it's over, you believe it. When the devil tells you your family's finished, you believe it. When the devil tells you you're going to die with that sickness, you believe it. It doesn't matter what he says, you believe it. But when God speaks a word to you, you got to put a fleece out and you got to wait three days and get four prophets to call you before you'll receive it as the word of God. The devil says it's over and you're like, oh God, I'm done. God says I'm just getting started. We're like, was that you? Can I preach to you tonight? It's easy to believe the report of the enemy. And I'll tell you why. Because the report of the enemy usually goes along with the evidence we're seeing. But God doesn't work based on evidence. The evidence said that Lazarus had been in the grave so long that he stinketh. But Jesus said, take me to the place where you laid him. The evidence said it was over. The evidence... God, I feel him here. The evidence said it's too late. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I wish somebody would stand on the word of the Lord tonight. Yeah, but the problem is, Pastor, every time I try to believe, I don't know how God can do it. I don't know how he could ever make it happen. I really don't know. When I was a boy, my mama used to sing, he'll do it again. All the time, he'd do it again. We were on the evangelistic field. She sang it just about everywhere we went. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. He said if he did it for Moses, if he did it for Daniel, if he did it for the Hebrew children, he'll do it again for you. Just take a look at where you are and where you've been and I love the question. Hasn't God always come through? And if he came through before, he'll come through again. I want to tell you that the evidence in your life is not nearly as intimidating to God as it is to you. But I'm going to preach it again tonight. The devil is a liar. And the evidence are not the facts. I wish you'd shout it tonight. God's got this. So, the prophet of the Lord, he said, well, then there's got to be somebody else. And I'm, I'm not there, but you got to just know how this works. I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. It's not recorded in the scripture. But you know, Jesse had a plan. He had this will. 
There was something in his mind. There was something about David that he was ashamed of. I don't know what it was. But there was something about David that for some reason Jesse didn't see the potential in him. He didn't understand how in the world it could be. And so when Samuel said, do you have another boy? Jesse's face is just it's like, I, I, I mean, I guess. I, I, I guess I do. Somewhere out there. But he's out there. I mean, he's going to smell bad. It's, th- this is not going to be pretty. I, I got a feeling that he may have laid down next to them sheep and he may have a little dirt in his hair and his feet might be a little dirty. And I don't know, man. I'm just not real sure this is what you're looking for. And Samuel said, you sin for him. And we're not going to sit down until he comes. You know what he was saying? He said, if he's the last one you got, the word of the Lord said he's the king. And I'm not going to sit down until the king gets here. Somebody ought to make up in your mind tonight. I'm not sitting down until the king shows up. I'm going to stay right here. God have mercy. I'm going to stay right here until the king shows up. Here he comes, and he comes running up there. Uh, what's going on, Dad? Just shut up. Just get over there. Just stand there. Dad, what are we doing? Don't say anything stupid. Stay right there. Dad, what's going on? I, I said, just be quiet. Just stay right there. And Samuel's like, come here, son. And Jesse's over there talking to his, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what am I going to do? Lord, don't let him say anything stupid. And all of a sudden, Jesse's standing there with his eyes closed saying, this is not going to end well. And he gets this aroma. So he opens his eyes and he looks. And old Samuel's got that horn of oil over the top of David. And he's anointing him. And the scent that has wafted to his nostrils is the smell of an anointing that he didn't feel like the boy deserved. I'm not saying this to be ugly, but I want to encourage somebody tonight. If you keep your mouth quiet and stop worrying about the haters, God will make your haters smell your anointing. You keep your mouth closed and you keep your chin up. You are a child of God. You are anointed for this moment. Yeah, but people are going to talk about, let them talk about you. They're going to have to see the anointing in your life. What is that smell? You know what that is? It's the smell of what you didn't believe in. It's the smell of what you didn't think would happen. But God gave the prophet a word. And when God gave the prophet a word, he said, I'm going to stay right here until the answer comes. I feel like telling somebody, you can open up your eyes because the anointing is beginning. The process is starting. So the scripture leads us to understand that he was anointed. Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 years old. And he does not sit on the first throne in Judah till he's at least 30. 
Everybody wants to be anointed. But I want to tell you that once you're anointed, that's not the end of the story. It's a process. It's a process that God is doing in your life. I'm not sure I get what you're saying, Pastor. Well, then let me just draw you a parallel. How many of you believe the Scripture tells us the same thing over and over and over? It's principle-based very much, right? So why didn't the Lord just let the children of Israel walk out of Egypt and straight into the promised land? Because in the process of time, he had to learn that he could trust them with promise. With David, he had to learn that he could trust him with anointing. I'm not saying this to hurt you tonight, but I want you young people to understand that just because you feel like you're anointed doesn't mean that you're appointed yet. Your anointing is only as good as the moment that you're in right now. Whatever God's trying to do in you right now, you've got to learn to be faithful with that. After David got anointed that day, do you know what he did next? You know the very next thing that David does? He goes right back out into the field and he starts doing the same thing that he did before he was anointed. you know what God's looking for? He's looking for people that don't require some kind of a new title because they were anointed in prayer. He said, if you can go right back to doing what you were doing, I'm not saying this tonight to hurt our young people, but a few few months ago, our, our students were cleaning after church, and somebody walked by and looked at our kids and said, what a shame, making these kids work in the house of the Lord. I'm telling you right now, that's the safest place in the world to make our kids work, in the house of the Lord. Nobody's making them do that. I thank God I was taught as a boy to clean the toilets and to sweep the aisles. And I love the house of the Lord but God knew that David was not going to establish his anointing in a throne room of man he was going to establish that anointing on a hillside in prayer and song in the throne room of God I want you to know that the throne room of men will not validate the anointing in your life that comes only from the throne room of God that's it it. so he's in this process now I've really got to hurry tonight but David I know again it's not recorded you just got to walk with me but I want to tell you we know this not because it's explicit but it's implicit that David did not go back out into the field stick his thumb in his mouth and say geez I was the last one to get picked David didn't go back out in the field and said, geez, I deserve better than this. Go watch my sheep. Does he not know that I'm anointed? Who does he think he is making me get out here? Nope. I don't think you understand how God works. Can I tell you? That when you start searching principles in the scripture, you're going to find something that a lot of people in this day and time don't want. What was David doing when he got anointed? He was working. What was Elisha doing when he was anointed? Man, y'all are preaching good. You know what they weren't doing? They weren't sitting around waiting on anointing. I don't know when they're going to finally see the good that's in me. 
God has called me to win the world. I'll tell you what else he's called you to do. He's called you to win one before he called you to win seven billion. If you've been at the same job for several years, the same school system or whatever you're doing, and nobody even knows that you're a Christian, don't be expecting no bottle of oil to be opened up anytime soon in your life. God anoints people that are busy doing the right thing. Come on. It's kind of interesting. i got to hurry, but it's kind of interesting because David and Elisha both were somewhat caught off guard by their anointing. God had to interrupt their work to anoint them. Think about that. God had to interrupt their work to anoint them. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. It's so funny to me how we judge the will of God sometimes. Because we judge the will of God. Oh, God, help me get this to somebody. We judge the will of God not by what we're called to do, but by the results we're getting in the moment. I've, oh, Jesus. I've seen men say, yep, God called me to go start a church somewhere. So they go start the church. Six months later, it's still their family and one person. And it's amazing that all of a sudden, God changes his mind. Why did God change his mind? Well, brother, we went and we just, you know, we weren't seeing success. Until, until, now I've, I've heard this story too. Until they bring another guy in to take the church so that they can leave. And then they tell everybody, I left a thriving church in that town. You can't judge your anointing based on the results you're seeing with your eyes. When I walk around this community and I go into stores and I see people that call me pastor but they haven't darkened the doors of this church in years, that doesn't discourage me. Because even though I may not see it manifesting in the pew, something's happening in the atmosphere. You, you, need to, you need to make up your mind tonight. The devil's not going to box your brains out trying to make you believe that you're not anointed anymore because you're not seeing results. You got to keep on doing what you know to do and let God fight battles and let anointing come as it comes. Ten years into the process, you know, David's like, well, good grief, I guess I'm not going to be anointed because... I sure hadn't sat on any thrones. God didn't anoint me to watch. His job pertained to the oil of the anointing. His father and the priesthood understood the value of anointing. And Eliezer, literally, when you look at his job description, he was a glorified fly swatter. That's what he did. He spent his entire life swatting flies. Why? Because when you read in the Proverbs, it said that one fly in the ointment causes the whole ointment to stink. In other words, if one fly lands in the oil, the apothecary has to start over again, and it's too valuable. You may think it's insignificant, but the flies you're... God have mercy, young people hear me tonight. The flies you're swatting right now are keeping something more valuable and something...
Can, can, I, can, I, can I preach to you tonight? Can I just talk to the young people for a second? And, and you parents can help me with this at home. You don't get a second chance at purity. You may feel like it's insignificant, but you keep those flies out of the oil of the anointing in your life. You are protecting something that's more valuable than you realize. You may feel like a glorified fly swatter, but if you're doing the will of God, that's what matters. What do you do, Eliezer? <laughs> well, I work in the ministry. You do, man. That's awesome. What do you do? Well, that's not important. Now, didn't I see your brother the other day, like, carrying one of those sensors? You may have, but, like, that's not a big deal. I mean, really, who cares? No, seriously, Eliezer, what do you do? I watch the anointing oil. Wow, okay, that's cool. Eliezer, just hang on, son. Because that oil that you're protecting... It anoints every piece of furniture in that tabernacle. It anoints the head of the priest. It anoints the garment of the priest. You may not feel like you're making an impact right now, but you are making an impact by what you're protecting. You better protect holiness. You better... You better protect holiness and anointing in your life. It makes a bigger difference than you think it does. You're looking at the bowl and God's looking at the process. So it comes time for Aaron to die. And I'm in fast forward because i got to get where I'm going. And the Bible said that Aaron goes up to the top of the mountain. And guess who went with him? Eliezer. And the scripture said that Aaron takes his priestly garment off. And he puts it on the flyswatter. He puts it on Eliezer. And then he falls dead. And Eliezer's standing there in the priestly garment. Here's what Eliezer did not know. The oil that he was protecting today was the anointing he would wear tomorrow. The oil that had saturated the garment of his father was the anointing that he would wear later. Don't despise your present circumstance. It's just a transition of your anointing. I've got to hurry. I'm trying not to dig in too deep right here. You understand that God measures transition periods in different ways than we do. That's why he didn't let them build a temple in the wilderness. They built a temple in Jerusalem and a tabernacle in the wilderness. Because the wilderness was not their dwelling place. It was their passing through place. While some of you are letting God talk to you about what's going to be. All you're focused on is what is. And God's saying don't build a house here. A tent will be sufficient because you're just passing through. I'm taking you somewhere that's going to be more valuable to you. But you've got to prove yourself out here in the wilderness I know it's probably different for y'all but it's torture for me when I know where I'm trying to go and I'm watching that clock tick some of you are like hurry hurry listen transitions are tough it's a transitionary period where God's trying to do something in your life 
But I'm going to tell you something, church, and I can say this with confidence. I know I've been preaching a lot about it, but I can say this with confidence. Our transition's almost over. I believe we're that close to the coming of the Lord. I said, I believe we're that close to the coming of the Lord. Can you imagine what would happen if we started looking down with disdain on the oil that God's told us to protect as apostolics in this hour? The message that he's told us to protect if right before the coming of the Lord that this church would say, you know what? I'm tired of bearing that burden. I'm tired of carrying that load. I'm just going to let happen what happens. You better not. We're in a transition period right now. When he comes back, the anointing that we are protecting right now with holiness will be the mantle that we wear when we get over there. So, he's anointed and he still smells like sheep dung. I know. It's tough preaching, isn't it? He's anointed but he's still taking naps out in the open. But I thought kings were in palaces. Yeah, but they're also using rocks for pillows. <laughs> Lord, I could preach it all night. I'm telling you, the process. Somebody say the process. You got to le- learn to be patient in the process. And so we understand that the Philistines, if you, if you get in the Bible and you read it, this thing with Goliath was not a one-time thing. It's like every time you, you look around, the Philistines are coming after God's people again. It is over. And over, and over, and over. But now David's going into a fight in the 17th chapter. He didn't intend to be in the fight. The father that didn't believe in him is the father that sent him. And he sent him with cheese and crackers. But I thought he was anointed as king. He is. But he's anointed to serve his brethren that despise him. Oh, boy. That went over like a lead balloon. You do understand his brothers hated him because of his anointing. And he's feeding them. What do you do with people that hate you? You bless them. You feed them. You know what they said about me? Nope. You want to know? Probably not. There ain't no sense in two of us being mad. Isn't that how we do? Come on, husbands and wives get mad and then she goes and tells her best friend. Then when you and your husband make up, your best friend's still mad at your husband. Go to dragging people into your relationship that shouldn't be there. Now you got five people that hate your husband and you're trying to make it all work. Nobody's even got to pay extra for that. That's part of the price of admission. Ain't that good? Birthday boy. Fixing to be 12 years old. So here he is. He's going to feed his brethren. And when God saw the heart of his servanthood, that when his father said, go serve your brothers, And he goes to serve his brothers. God said, you know what? If I can trust him to serve his brothers, then I believe I can trust him with victory. I'm fixing to mess with somebody in here right now. Brother Frank, God had to deal with my heart a long time ago about some things. 
I got frustrated because I felt like God needed to vindicate me. I'm, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now so strong. I'm telling you, I'm walking in a flood right now. I felt like God needed to vindicate some things for me that I was frustrated about. And I would go to prayer and I would say, God, when are you going to vindicate this? When are people going to see that so-and-so and and such-and-such has made an open mockery of your name? When when are people going to see that they've done me wrong? Come on, I'm flesh too. You pinch me, I bleed. I said, God, when's it going to happen? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. I've got it written down on my phone. I can take you to the date of it. The Lord spoke to me. He said, son, you can either have vindication or you can have victory. Some people are going to spend their whole life till their dying day waiting for vindication. But people who are willing to serve people that should probably be vindicated. God's going to let them taste victory. I would rather live in victory watching my brother get blessed than I would to spend my whole life waiting for God to vindicate me and me never tasting victory in my life. But God will never listen to me in the Holy Ghost. God will never give you victory over giants until you can get victory over your flesh. It was bad, Pastor. I'm sure it was. You ever read that little story? Just a little... It's kind of like tucked away in the little treasures. Not very much to it about Joseph. He's a pretty neat character. All he did was dream and his brothers hated him. But when God saw that he could trust him with a pure heart, isn't it amazing that the ones who despised him were the ones that came to him when it was time for famine in the land? But God trusted the heart of a man to store up in a season For the day that the famine was coming. And God said if I can trust him in the pit. And I can trust him in the prison. And I can trust him in Potiphar's house. Then I know I can trust him when his brothers come. I know that I can trust him when his brothers come. And the scripture tells us that God used him in influence and power. To be a blessing to those that had hurt him. Until we get to the place that we can bless those that have hurt us. God is not going to give us victory. Bishop, I got a deep plow out tonight. God's doing something in here. God wants to set somebody free. It's hard for you to get victory in other places in your life because you still want vindication in that one place. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you what I want us to do right now. Woo, Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. I want us right now to just say, to close our eyes, raise our hands and say, Lord, search me. If I've been searching for vindication over something, I I would rather have victory than I would vindication. Pastor, they harmed me. They, they, They affected the rest of my life. They don't have to. You can be free from that. God, I feel I feel the Holy Ghost trying to heal something in here right now. They ran off and left me. They forsook me. They abandoned me. They hurt me. They broke my trust. I understand that. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The flesh of Jesus was crying out 
to the Spirit. Please forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus was saying, I would rather have victory than be vindicated by the evil that they're doing. I know they may have robbed you of some of your childhood. And they may have taken precious treasures from you. But they cannot take your victory when you make up in your mind, I'm not going to live with bitterness. Oh, let's just worship the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost in here right now. I may never get to the end of this sermon tonight, but somebody's going to come to the end of this trial. Woo! I believe that before the Spirit of God is done working here tonight, somebody is going to just feel a load lift off your shoulders. And the next time you see that person that you've looked at with hatred and despise them, when you watch them walk away, you'd say, ooh, I can't even stand to see the way they walk. You've looked at them and said, ooh, I can't even stand to see their face. But God's going to lift that off of you tonight. I'm, I'm prophesying that in the Holy Ghost right now. God's about to do it in this place. Whew. God's troubling the waters in here right now. Woo! <laughs> Come on, let's just pause right here for a minute. Let's just love the Lord. We're not in any big rush right here. I just want us to touch God. Lord, you see the hearts of men and women in this place. You see the deep wounds. Come on, I'm reaching for somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight. You got to let the Lord tear that scab off. Rip that flesh back tonight so he can put oil and wine in that wound. And you can be healed tonight in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus, search this house right now. Search this house right now. You've been carrying this since you were a child. It's affected your entire life. But tonight the Lord wants to give you victory over it. Woo! Oh, great God. I'm telling you, something has shifted in this room tonight. There is freedom in this place. There is liberty in this place tonight. You don't have to leave here broken like that. There's angels walking up and down the aisles of this place right now. I'm telling you. There's a refreshing in this room right now. Woo! If I don't finish this sermon tonight, God's going to finish the work. That's all right. Oh! Let there be a healing in this room right now, God.
Let there be a healing in this room right now. Oh, walls that you have built. You said nobody will ever see that part of who I am. You built walls around that and would never let anybody in. I'm asking you tonight to let God in. I'm asking you to let the Spirit of God in right now to begin to work in that. Come on, you don't have to carry that the rest of your life. You don't have to carry that the rest of your marriage. Let God heal it in you right now. It's here, folks. It's here. It's in this room right now. We're going to let God be God. Woo! There is no shame in this room right now. There is no shame in this room right now. Don't you let the devil make you bury your head in shame tonight. If God is working on you right now, then you step out by faith and you let God work. If you feel the Holy Ghost working in your soul right now, then you just let the Holy Ghost work on your soul. Come on, it may hurt a little bit tonight, but we're going to let God do some soul surgery. We're going to let God do some soul surgery in here. I feel the angel of the Lord pushing me right now. I know I'm in the right will of God right now. I know I'm in the will of God right now. Somebody's getting healed in this room. Oh, God. You've been wounded. You've been broken. But you won't pray for vindication any longer. Because you're going to walk in victory. I said you're going to walk in victory. Don't you worry about what others think of you right now. Come on, make a move towards God, would you? If you don't want to come to the front, find you a place to pray. Find you a place to bury your face right now in the pew and give it to God. I'm not going to carry it another day. Oh. Oh. You got to get ready for the coming of the Lord. You got to get ready for the coming of the Lord. <laughs> God, I'm not praying for vindication tonight. I'm pleading for victory. That's it. Let God heal you. Let God heal you. In the name of Jesus. I want to minister something to you from the word of God right now. Don't stop praying. But when they asked Jesus what was the most important commandment, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6 to them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he said, 
in his word in Deuteronomy. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. I want to tell you that the thing that has troubled you for so long has filled spaces in your life like your heart and your soul. A place that God reserved for him. But these issues that you've had to deal with, you've had bitterness in your heart. It's affected your soul. Why does the enemy want to affect and afflict your soul like that? Because the most important commandment is to love God with that broken part of who you are right now. And as long as you allow bitterness to occupy that place in your life, you can never love God with all your heart. You can never love God with all your strength. You've got to let some things go tonight and say, Lord, I want you to fill that space. That place that I've reserved for bitterness is reserved only for you. And I am removing that bitterness tonight. I'm sending an eviction notice tonight. And I'm going to let you take up residence in that part of my life. I've tried to fix it with drugs. I've tried to make it go away with alcohol. I've tried to make it go away with pills. And it's always there to meet me again. But tonight, oh holy God of heaven, would you let your spirit cleanse my vessel? God would you cleanse my heart and cleanse my soul and would you let the joy of the Lord fill my vessel tonight Woo! when you open up the place that's reserved for God only to love him with all your heart and soul Jesus said the second commandment is to love your neighbor to love your brother it's amazing the way God helps you to love your neighbor when you've opened up that place that you used to hate your neighbor with but now the peace of God dwells there and so you can love them that hate you oh he almost <laughs> come on don't let pride keep you in your seat tonight don't let pride keep you held back tonight there is no shame in this place let the Holy Ghost heal you let the Spirit of God heal you in this place Woo! let there be a release in this room tonight Lord Some of you have carried that spirit of offense for so long that it's even affected you physically. It's manifested physically in your body in different ways, in your health. But tonight the Lord wants to heal your body. And the way that he heals your body is by healing your mind, your soul, and your spirit tonight. Let him heal you. Come on. Let him heal you tonight. God, I'd rather have victory than vindication any day. Oh. This will be one of the greatest revelations you'll ever get in your life. It's more blessed to live victorious. It's more blessed to live victorious. Woo! (laughs) 
Sakata yando yabasataya. Itolanda yalalabosataya. Come on, I prophesied to you tonight before I started that somebody was going to leave here tonight with that thing broken in your life. You're not going to fight it again tomorrow. You're going to let God heal it in you tonight. Oh, Jesus. Let the healing balm of Gilead flow in this room tonight. I'm pleading with you, child of God, tonight. Don't hold those tears back. Let them flow. Shoo! It's a principle you see over and over and over in the Scripture. Don't get focused on what's been robbed from you. Because we've got a God that knows how to restore what the palmer worm, the canker worm, has stolen from you. God can restore it. Don't you worry about what's been taken. Don't you worry about what's been robbed. You let God restore that. And let God restore the sanity in your mind and the peace in your mind. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. I'm telling you, I feel this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. God, restore the joy of thy salvation. I wish somebody just asked the Lord to do that tonight. Create a clean heart in me. Any place that I've harbored bitterness or anger or strife or maliciousness, God, just clean that out of me and restore the joy of your salvation in me. Oh. Oh, my God, I feel you here. My Lord and my God, I feel you here. Mm. Hallelujah. I'm not going to finish my sermon tonight, but let me finish the story. The Bible said that when David got brave enough to go face that uncircumcised Philistine, that Saul looked at him and said, you don't have what it takes to go get it. You don't, you don't have what it takes. But David, there's a trend that you see in his life and his ministry. That David reached back to a victory of yesterday. When Saul tried to tell him God couldn't do it today, he said, but yesterday I slew a lion and a bear. By yesterday, I'm talking about in my past. When the enemy tries to tell you you can't, you've got to be able to reach back into a testimony of when God has met you before. And the scripture said that he looked Saul in the eye and he said, I smote him and I slew him. This, this shows us something in David. That he's not a quitter. 
He didn't just smite the bear and the lion. And when the lion and the bear backed off, he stopped pushing. He said, I smote him and then I slew him. And the scripture said that when he ran, he got five smooth stones and he runs towards Goliath. That he slings the stone and you can believe it however you want to. I believe that God took that stone and put it right where it needed to go. When does God do that? When we release it. God works when we're not trying to control it. David said, God, I'm releasing this and you're going to have to direct it. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in that. And the Bible said that the stone smote him. Watch the trend. Well, I knocked him down and he shut his mouth, so I guess God's done. No. Because if you let that bear live after you smite it, it'll come back for your sheep. But he didn't just smite that bear and he didn't just smite that lion. He killed the bear and he killed the lion. And so when he knocks the giant down, he's still breathing. And he said, if I just knock him down, he'll come back tomorrow. Lord, I'm telling you, God's about to do it in this room. He said, but I'm not just going to smite this thing. I'm going to slay this thing. And the Bible said that he walked up to that giant that was laying there. He was still breathing. He was smitten, but he was still breathing. And the Bible said that he took Goliath's own sword off of him and he cut his head off. He said, I'm not going down as a smiter. I'm going down as a slayer. I'm not going to let this thing live another day in my life. I'm tired of coming to the altar and smiting it and smiting it and smiting it only to be resurrected. I'm going to cut the head off of it and I'll never fight it again. You have smitten this addiction time after time in the altar. You have smitten this bitterness time after time in the altar. But tonight the Lord's saying, take the sword. I took that bear and I took that lion and I smote him. And then I slew him. And I took that giant and I smote him. (laughs) And then I slew him. And do you know that when David was on the run later from Saul, that he walked into the house of the Lord... And isn't it something, Brother Nate, when he walked in, he said, do you have a sword here? He said, I sure do. He said, I've got Goliath's sword. David reaches back to a victory that he had before the same way that he did. And he took Goliath's sword out of the ephod. And he said, if God gave me victory when I slew that giant, God will give me victory in my life today. If you'll slay that thing in your life tonight... God's going to send you reminders along the way of what happened on this Sunday night in this service. When you're in need of a victory, God's going to say, you remember the night that you put that thing to rest and I'm still giving you victory. Let's reach for heaven right now. Woo! I'm telling y'all, somebody's life depends on what I'm preaching tonight. 
God's revealing some things to some people right now as to why he hasn't been able to completely fill your temple. It's because there's not room for him in there right now. And you got to let some things go if God's going to fill you up. Woo! Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. It's time to finish the job, child of God. Lay that thing to rest tonight. 